0: State Representative Cheryl DeLoser of Cumberland County is finding policy issues that bridge the partisan divide with criminal justice reforms that benefit both taxpayers and those who have paid their debt to society. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I'm in downtown Harrisburg at Cafe Fresco uh, with State Representative Cheryl Delosier, uh, who uh, resides just across the river from here in Cumberland County. Uh, Representative Delosier, thanks for coming on with me. Thank you very much for the invite. Well, I'm glad you could uh, join me. You've uh, been very busy with uh, legislative action, and we're going to get into some of that, some of the things that you're passionate about and pushing through uh, our state house. Uh, But uh, let's talk about you Uh, where we want to get to know the uh, person behind the politician, as I (laughs) like to say. All right. Uh, Where'd you grow up? Uh, Your family. And we'll talk about the politics of family, too. Oh, well, there's always (laughs) politics and family
1: around the around the Christmas table. Um, No, my family is I was born in New York, in Mount Vernon, New York. And I moved around a lot as a kid. I lived in in a number of states. I was always the new kid at school. And um, so that was kind of interesting and and kind of led to uh, the ability to kind of Agree, you know, move in with with different types of people and talk to all different types. And I lived in Milwaukee and New York and uh, two different places in New York and uh, down south in Texas. Was that
0: because of your your dad's employment? Yeah, my dad was
1: was an electrical engineer. And um, so he moved a lot of times where the products were. Uh, mm. So uh, his uh, company, uh, he worked for uh, Alice Chalmers, and that merged with Siemens, which is a German company down in Texas. And so they had uh, Austrian and German engineers with American engineers, and that that kept them moving around quite a bit. Did so. you
0: like uh, did you like uh, being more uh, transient? Uh...
1: <laughs> well, I didn't know anything different. Uh-huh. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's actually funny because I married somebody that has been born and raised here in Central <laughs> Pennsylvania, and he's never moved anywhere else. He he was out. Chicago for a short time, but for the most part, other than Penn State. Uh, so I, I joke and I say I married him because he doesn't move, because uh-huh. uh, I, I didn't, uh, I was done with that and decided that, and I've been here in central Pennsylvania, I moved out here in the early 90s. And so I've been out here for work and, and now family and my kids so and everything. So was,
0: was this ever a place that, that your family, you know, as a child located? Uh, how and, and brothers and sisters, uh, uh, talk about that before we get into uh, your...
1: Well, they. Um, I have a younger sister, and she and my mother both live in the southeast Pennsylvania. We moved, uh, when we moved from Texas, we moved to Westchester. Okay. And I went to high school there uh, before I went to uh, college at University of Delaware. And uh, my sisters and mom have stayed there. And uh, so she's down there with... Her four kids, and they keep her extremely busy, and she's always running around, like any mom does with all those kids. And uh, so they've always stayed there. My my uh, brother-in-law is a physician down there, and with uh, Chester County Hospital, and um, they uh, they love it down there. and He's got a big Italian family down there. They've been down there for generations, mm. so it's it's a big family uh, for them. And then uh, my mom and uh, is down there, so it's only a little bit over an hour away. So, so run fair- down there
0: despite uh, having moved all around the country yeah. uh, you have family nearby uh, politics in your family uh, any any political
1: uh, uh, offices held no, or, you know? no 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 I'm the oddball okay and uh, but I will say I grew up in a family that uh, very much my my dad had very very strong uh, conservative opinions mm-hmm. and uh, him and my mom both were very adamant about always voting. And so that was always a priority, and the ability to, to stay involved. Uh, my dad was a Rotarian. Uh, i have now been now a Rotarian as well with the Mechanicsburg Rotary, and giving back to the community, working uh, with public policy, working with issues. Um, my, I'd always heard my dad talking about issues over the dinner table. And some of them I understood, some of them I didn't, but I could ask a lot of questions, which I think I still do. Um, but the ability to have those conversations, um, dad was always somebody that said to me, it doesn't matter, you know, man or woman, you can be whatever you want to be. And um, he pushed us hard, my sister and I, uh, to, to make sure we knew what we wanted to do and where we could go and that we really could do whatever we set our mind to. So. When,
0: when did you start paying closer attention to kind of, the, you know, electoral politics and then say, you know what? I'm a Republican. Those are, you know, that represents <laughs> that represent- my principles, and you know, when did that well, I came
1: from a Republican household, so uh-huh. obviously our families always uh, help. Don't necessarily nail it down, yeah. but that certainly is a push. And um, it really, I mean, in, in, in uh, uh, high school, I did some internships down at the courthouse and got to know about some issues. And then in college, I uh, did do an internship with state committee and got assigned to one of the presidential campaign that was, I'll date myself here, and I was on the Bush-Quail campaign as a little intern at State Committee. (laughs) Learned so much, uh, just... Matt, just totally, you know, in awe of the entire process Mm -hmm. and learned a lot about uh, the ins and outs and and grassroots. I mean, and I just fell in love with grassroots Mm. and uh, got the opportunity to go down to the National Convention that year with State Committee and help out with the delegation. And it was it was just something really eye opening about the whole electoral process about government as a whole, um, and who's involved, the candidates and getting good candidates. So I think that was kind of the start. I went back to the University of Delaware after that internship, and I was a political science major. Mm -hmm. I will say that because uh, in high school, uh, I was going to be a math. I had applied to many colleges to be a math teacher. Hmm. So uh, math was my strongest subject, and I decided that uh, I had always wanted to be a teacher. And but my senior year in, in high school, uh, we were required to take government and economics class, and I was enthralled mm. with the teacher. He was a, a World War II vet, uh, spoke a lot about how our government operates, mm-hmm. um, war, and 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 being serving in our military, and how uh, federal government works with state government and. I was hooked hmm. and, and I remember hmm. saying how much I enjoyed it and good teachers can do that. They to can us, yeah. Great teachers yeah. can, can truly suck you in and, <laughs> and uh, give you a new perspective. Uh-huh. And that's what he did for me. And uh, I will say my mom t- said, well why don't you talk about majoring in political science?" And I will say that I had never heard of political science mm. before, and uh, I told her I didn't like science. I don't think I would like that. Uh, and she just kind of rolled her eyes at me, and she's like, no, this is a social science. You will love it. So that was the first, and so I investigated that and kind of looked at the class load and what the subjects of the mm-hmm. classes were, and I applied to Delaware, and, and uh, I got accepted for math, but I switched it over to political science and um, and stayed in it. And, and I'm one of the few, I think, that I can say majored in political science and Stuck it out and, and now actually do it. Actually
0: using your yeah. degree for. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, <laughs> that some of us happen. can't say that. That's no, right. No, 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 right. no.
1: Which is something that's really great about the house because we have such a diverse uh population in the Mm -hmm. house that that you don't have to be a political science major to be a house member or a senate member um so i think that that's that actually adds to a lot of the dialogue that we do have
0: so when's the first time that you said you know i think i'd like to put my name you know on the ballot and (laughs) go through that whole process well
1: i can honestly say that was never my goal Uh Uh, truly i liked being behind the scenes i did a lot of uh, my jobs my first job i was the governor's race and i was uh Which governor's race was that? It was the Hafer Casey uh, governor's race and uh, based out of Philadelphia. So Uh I worked in Philly and uh, only earned enough to pay for my uh, car uh, insurance and uh, the train ride in pretty much. (laughs) But it was a foot in the door. And I, again, learned a lot about that race. Obviously, um, uh, Governor Casey won that race. But um, the ability to learn about, again, more grassroots, more uh, how things operate. But um, working campaigns was, was uh, a, a, as my family called it, a disease that I had. Uh, I would sign on to a campaign. And my dad, uh, who moved around a lot but was always very apprehensive when I changed jobs, you know, uh, and he knew that I had that uh, desire to be with campaigns. And, and I worked coalitions. And Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that tremendously, working Mm -hmm. with all the different diverse groups in Pennsylvania. But I worked a lot of statewide races. That was kind of, I would come back into state government and work with public policy. But then a statewide race would kick up, and I'd get that itch, and I'd leave state government and go work uh, the other statewide races. So I worked the uh, uh, Auditor General race couple years later, um, and then worked the Ridge and Schweiker race in 94, and then worked that again in 98. Um, So it was something that I truly enjoyed, but I did enjoy the public policy. I liked getting back into state government and working public policy. So... That was kind of, but I never wanted to be the candidate. I very much appreciated being behind the scenes and setting everything up. But honestly, it kind of came down to I worked for uh, Governor Ridge and Governor Schweiker and worked in the uh, public liaison's office. Worked with a lot of the legislature there because of the boards and commissions Mm -hmm. and appointments. Um, and um, got to know a lot of them better and, and recognize that they were normal people who uh, all had their reason for running but um, uh, Jerry Naylor was my predecessor so he decided to step down after a long career 20 years mm-hmm. and I was looking around and some people had jumped into the race and Pretty much I was kind of at home complaining to my husband that, um, well, I'm not sure about the people that are jumping in and I, I don't know, you know. And he pretty much turned around and said, you know, put up or shut up, yeah. you know, like give him an option. <laughs> he probably regrets that yeah, now. Yeah, right, right. Um, but, uh, but I took that to heart and kind of said, you're right. You know, if, I've, if I want to advance some of the things that I want to advance, I, I need to be a part of the process. So that was the first time because, like I said, up until that point, I was very happy being behind the scenes mm-hmm. and uh it's it's a totally a different world uh putting your name on the ballot it's terrifying mm-hmm. and so i i admire anybody win or lose that can put their name on the ballot because um it's scary to, and, to and your get out first there.
0: race was when how many uh, and it's pretty much a primary race uh, it, very given much that in that cumberland district, county yes.
1: absolutely there were seven of us that uh-huh. ran uh and it was it was funny i get asked a lot uh women in politics and, and that kind of question and and there's a lot of dialogue that we can have about that. But I will say being uh, the only female uh, out of seven candidates helped. Helped, sure. Uh, so a, a lot of times at the doors or if people were talking, it, they couldn't keep the guys straight. But that woman, that <laughs> woman came to my door and I remember her, you know, and, that, and that's fine. That, yeah. that, I didn't care that they didn't know my name as long yeah. as they knew. Fortunately, but. it
0: was Cheryl and not Pat Correct. or Terry, right? Correct. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, it was very, very much a, a female name that, that you knew. So that was good and that worked. So some of the
0: issues that uh, uh, you've been passionate about, things that have been important to you, and I know that there's some hot issues right now that you're, you're leading on in the House, uh, and getting some things done bipartisanly. Yes. Uh, a lot yes. of folks uh, from across the aisle, agreement, even, you know, I think the governor is supportive of a number of uh, the issues. But uh, uh, over the years, uh, before we get to some of the, the current issues, what have been the things that have been most important for you from a legislative uh, uh, angle?
1: Well, one of the issues, and as I mentioned, um, the fact of being elected—you, uh, you, most people, I think, would say that they get elected or, or work to get elected because it's hard work—is mm-hmm. um, to advance ideas that you have or, or try and help people. I mean, that is the the public service part of being elected. Um, and and I will say that when I moved out here, uh, I was on my own, and it was it was a new experience for me, and I was actually recuperating from. Um, a couple of years prior, but there have been a number of surgeries from a car accident. So I had a number of medical bills. Mm. And um, one of the programs through, and I say that because one of the programs that come through uh, as a state employee is called SICA. And it's a state, uh, state employees combined appeal where you can donate some of your paycheck to... Um, United Way Charities, which, of course, you know, they tug at your heart and you want to help. Um, and I remember being on the phone with my mother, and she's like, if you take a dollar out of your paycheck right now, she goes, I will come out there and, and beat you up. <laughs> she's like, you have a lot of bills that you have to pay. You know, it's it's right now you can't financially afford this to, to donate to charities. You can do it later when you can. Um, so, and she was right. I mean, I, I did have bills I had to pay, and uh, she made a good point. And so, but what I had was time. So I was out here on my own, and I had time to volunteer. So what I did was I went over to the YWCA, and one of the areas that really rang and resonated with me was domestic violence and rape crisis. And so I went to the YW and went through their volunteer training program. And it was a couple nights a week for a number of weeks where we were trained on how to take hotline calls, how to deal with victims, um, how to understand uh, what they're going through. And we uh, once we were done, and for about 10 years I did rape company. Um when there would be a rape call into a hospital for a rape kit, we would get called out to be the advocate for the victim that night. So it could be at 11 o'clock, it could be you were on duty from um, 6 p.m. to 8 a.m., and any call that came in uh, to the Y at that time, whether it was a domestic violence uh, case that was brought to the hospital, or a rape for a rape kit, um, to advocate for that victim. Mm. And so that was something that I was extremely passionate about, and something that I, I wholeheartedly you know, took to heart. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, uh, I have always been an advocate for the victim's voice in our system. Um, haven't been able, you know, once I started having my family and kids, I couldn't be called out. I am married to a police officer who was also called out. So we kind of, uh, um, he was called out for a job. Mine was volunteer. So obviously, uh, I couldn't do that uh, any longer. But the ability for us to um, take that issue and mm-hmm. carry it forward. Mm-hmm. So that became really a lot of my legislation that you'll see. Um, in, in the different uh, terms that I've had. Majority of it is law enforcement uh, issues as well as victims issues. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's restitution, whether it's uh, PFA bills, whether it's um, dealing with uh, supporting our law enforcement and our DAs um, that prosecute our laws and the, and the police officers that are on the street every day. And I think that w- we need to do that. And But also, in our system, we need to balance out that our victims need to have that voice. And our victims should be a part. They, they are Um, in this judicial system not through any fault of their own Uh, they are a victim someone else did something uh, to make them part of this judicial system Um, and in the cases when I was uh, participating with domestic violence or, or rape um, they're they're the worst day of their life. Um, when it's domestic violence, you're you're being harmed by the person that's supposed to love you the mm-hmm, most. Mm-hmm. And so that is an issue, and that's something that I've taken to heart. And a lot of my legislation uh, deals with that. I have a lot of other issues as well, but um, but that's one that I take to heart.
0: Well, I know you are pushing Marcy's Law, uh, which was a uh, something that originated in California Correct. with a tragedy. Uh, and that Pennsylvania is a bit of an outlier uh, amongst the states in terms of as you, you call it, uh, giving victims a voice. Right. Uh, talk about Marcy's Law, how sure. that came about, and what you're trying to do uh, in terms of a constitutional change. And we'll get to where that, you know, what phase that's in at this point.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, Marcy's Law is something that uh, is a national uh, campaign, and you will see that, uh, you know, in websites and Twitter and all of that. Um, it did start in California. Marcy uh, was murdered by her boyfriend, and uh, he was put in jail. And and arrested and put in jail. And um, the family uh, went to uh, buried Marcy and went to her grave and then um, went to the grocery store. And unbeknownst to them, uh, the person that was uh, then eventually found guilty of the crime, but at the time was the accused, was walking towards them in the grocery store. And that was devastating mm. to the mom and the brother of Marcy um, because they hadn't been notified that, that this person that, that perpetrated this crime in their mm-hmm. minds um, and then, like I said, later was found guilty, um, was walking down the, the, the grocery store aisle towards them. And, and not only intimidating, but also just anger mm-hmm. that that they were not aware of this and uh, so that started uh, the brother uh, then went on and, and he became very successful and decided that he was going to make Marcy remembered nationally but also bring those victims rights to the level of a constitution within states
0: and the idea is that uh, the victims would be notified and be able to be part of this process uh, With those who have been accused of a crime? Absolutely. uh, It it, it
1: elevates the victim's rights on par with those that are accused. Mm -hmm. Nothing in Marcy's Law takes away one single right from the accused. All it does is say that the victim, once someone is found uh, guilty, has a right and has the ability to have their voice heard, has their voice um, to be heard in a victim statement. Mm -hmm. Not that it may Be heard that it shall be heard and and as all of us that are in in public policy know may and shall make a huge Mm -hmm, difference and um, the ability to raise this to the Constitution uh, this is a something that the voters will choose Um, we have passed it it has to pass two sessions consecutive sessions exactly the same Um, it passed last session and we are passing this through uh, right now uh, with the second session and then we are in the hopes that we'll get it through the house And then it will go over to the Senate, uh, the 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 Labor Chair over there, Senator Baker. She's ready for it. She's ready to go um, to get this uh, through and to the voters this November is our goal.
0: And uh, how did that pass last session? Was it bipartisan support? Absolutely uh...
1: bipartisan support, unanimous. Um, There were um, uh, conversations we had. We made tweaks to make sure that the bill represented Pennsylvania, because obviously uh, every state has its own. Uh, system. We're very lucky here in Pennsylvania. We have a very robust um, victims advocacy. Um, many other states had to start from scratch. We mm-hmm. don't have to do that mm-hmm. here in Pennsylvania. So the cost is, is, is nothing because we have our victims advocates. We have our victims offices and our DA's offices. We have um, this system that's already established and one that works well. But what that system also does not do that we are trying to fix is if a victim's voice is not heard, That victim advocate has to turn around to that victim and say, I'm very sorry. We have no other avenue. Mm -hmm. Why should they have to say that to a victim? Why shouldn't a victim's voice uh, be heard when sentencing is happening? Why shouldn't a victim be aware when uh, probation is being considered or when someone is released? We're not asking for the moon. We're simply asking for information and to have that voice heard.
0: Well, I know uh, another issue that uh, you are involved in is probation and parole. Um, what, what's uh, happening on that front uh, here in Pennsylvania?
1: Well, um, we were able to pass Clean Slate last year, which was kind of the start of this.
0: And explain that. Clean, uh, just, slate. Yeah, yeah. Clean
1: slate is um, a piece of legislation. We were the first in the nation, so Pennsylvania's leading on this. And we're proud of the fact that we were able to bring everybody to the table. And Democrats, um, Republicans. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah, which I know doesn't uh, happen. Right, I know right. it's an anomaly, <laughs> um, which is why we're trying to keep it going. Um, but the ability for us to bring um, Republicans and Democrats... Actually, I kind of laugh at when we started this. So, when we started this, we had two uh, Democrats from Philadelphia and we had two Republicans from central Pennsylvania who, if you take a look at our voting records, <laughs> probably don't have any commonality yeah. um, other than the unanimous votes. Um, but the ability for us to come together and recognize that we need to make changes in our criminal justice system. And um, what the Clean Slate Bill basically said was that, you know, uh, people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anyone listening or anybody that, that is being honest can say they've been led a perfect life. So no one has led this perfect life where they've never made a mistake. And Clean Slate allows for us to say that if you have a misdemeanor two and three... You have the ability to um, be clean slated after 10 years of not having any interaction with police. And like what's a two or a
0: three? A two or three.
1: So you have disrupted a a municipal meeting. Don't do that Uh, because you can be misdemeanor, Uh Um, you know, underage drinking or something, something that you've you had a bad night. You know, you did something stupid. Um, Should that affect your life? That's not where you've
0: you've killed somebody. Absolutely. And
1: and a clean slate had the um, uh, it is not a violent crime. It is not a crime with a gun. It's not a crime with a child. It's not a sexual crime. Mm-hmm. so we have that it is not that we're yeah. dealing with stupid mistakes yeah. Yeah. and the ability for us to say you've been 10 years clean you've never had any other interaction yeah. uh, you have moved on you've mm-hmm. probably mem- you know, maybe married had children you're trying to get a job that you're fully qualified yeah. for, but you there's keep zero having t- to check that exactly. box, right? And you still have to say yes, you are a convict. Yeah. You know, one one um, out of three working people in Pennsylvania have a criminal record, mm. so we're not talking about um, you know just a, a very small population here. So the ability for them to go ten years, redo themselves, re- become good citizens, yeah. family people, um, and the ability for them to say, you know, mere two and three. You're clean slated. It'll happen automatically mm-hmm. come June. Um... The ability for us to take a look at the fact of misdemeanor ones. Um, In some states, I learned this through the process, in some states, um, misdemeanor ones are felonies in other Mm -hmm. states. So they were more serious crimes. Mm -hmm. So we did want, uh, so misdemeanor ones are are applicable, but a DA and the judge take a look at it. So they can kind of, you know, ferret out the, oh, this is one that absolutely can be clean slated.
0: So you're building off of this clean slate uh, effort uh, to address uh, probation and parole.
1: Probation and parole is, is one of the areas that we are looking at. Um, Jordan Harris and I were the two in the House that were working clean Who's slate. The House
0: Democratic Whip. Absolutely uh-huh. right,
1: and uh, we we call each other you know partners in, in reform here with the criminal justice. Not in crime. Is no, yeah. no, no. We we kind of <laughs> stayed away from that one. Uh, we didn't think that would play too well. So, um, but yes, the ability to take common sense approach, you know, in the sense that we need to defend our our police officers, mm-hmm. we need to stand up for our DAs and uh, who prosecute our laws, and need to make sure that our police officers are safe on the street. And I see it then also going to the victims. The victim's voice needs to be heard, and that's where we have Marcy's Law, and we have the ability to say you um, as a victim should have a standing and, and should have a voice. But we also need to take a look at the other end of the process. We have people that have gone uh, to jail or to prison, and they've served their time. They made a mistake. Mm-hmm. They they have served their time, and now they're coming out. We don't want them back. Mm-hmm. We don't want them as a taxpayer. We don't want them back on the rolls. Um uh, Secretary Wetzel doesn't want to see them back in our state prisons. Uh, he is very adamant about that. He wants them to, to be part of our community. Mm-hmm. So we are taking a look at the probation and parole because we have people that absolutely need to be supervised. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They have mental health issues, they have addiction issues, they most likely will, may uh, reoffend. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the people we need to be focusing on. Um, do we need to be watching a shoplifter for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Right, right. So why should we have a, a, an officer uh, watching over this individual when they should be focusing on the more serious individuals that do need more supervision um, and more, more focused supervision? Mm-hmm.
0: So is this to give uh, more flexibility to saying hey uh, we we can't just have one uniform application right uh, but alternatives uh, yeah alternatives there could be house yeah. arrests okay. there could be
1: there could be things that um, even and some of the judges that we've talked to even but even pre sentencing um, have said of alternatives rather than throwing them immediately in jail you know have house arrests mm-hmm. have you know the monitors on their ankles have those types of things again so the population isn't increasing and our costs increasing but we still have control of the situation we're still monitoring we know where they are um, and those types of things and then post when they come out we want them to have tools to be able to be successful people in our communities mm-hmm. and that kind of plays into also not only looking at probation and parole but looking at um, our licensure
0: hmm so that in order say say you get a skill uh, and that's hopefully what we're doing in our correction systems right Correct. uh, equipping people to uh, come back into society uh, maybe they didn't get the education that they needed and that's why they were living a life of crime if you will right uh, but now their option yeah and now they've got uh, a skill mm-hmm. whether maybe it's cutting hair or they've learned a trade. Um, but then when they get out, there are some barriers to getting into Absolutely. some of these uh, uh, areas uh, of work. Uh, talk about what you're doing on that with it when it comes to occupational licensure.
1: Well, and that's that's why the chambers, we have them on board. Um, we have Gene Barr, who um, has been very vocal as to the fact that they want good employees. The
0: president of the state chamber yes, of business. And, yes, yeah. and,
1: and my constituent. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so we joke about the fact that, that as a team, we can say, yes, we want employers that want good employees. And we have empl- the AFL-CIO. They wholeheartedly supported clean slate as well as as these changes so we're getting the employers and the employees together so an
0: example of this of where we we see barriers is that someone learns uh, uh, to cut hair uh, in prison and they get out and what do they run into what are some of the things
1: well one of the examples that i've been using has been um where in in prison we'll teach the men um typically the the barbering skills Uh so they can come out and be a barber so they come out and they they get the necessary requirements in order to go get their license fine so they go and get a barber license they can practice no problem so say uh, um, typically a cosmetologist is a female uh, not always but some t- majority so say a young lady comes out of muncie and um has uh would like to cut hair and uh, goes through the necessary schooling and, and and credentialing um then they apply for the license well the cosmetology board has a morals clause nobody with a record can be a cosmetologist mm that's a barrier. That's something that's saying, number one, it's it's a gender issue in the sense that why, why do yeah. we have it for the, don't have it for the barbers but we have it for the for the uh, cosmetologists. Barbershops are a lot rougher than yeah, Exactly. Salons, they can right handle then? themselves I guess <laughs> a little better. But um, yeah, so you never know. But the ability is that, um, so we still, you still need to have some um, requirements. And so as I mentioned a couple times in the sense of, in talking to people is that as a CPA you don't want to have an embezzlement. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know, that would be bad. Someone who's written bad checks. Exactly. Say, you know, yeah. not, not. That's a, that's not a
1: match. So that has a direct impact on the job. Mm-hmm. But if someone has been arrested and and for shoplifting, what does shoplifting and making a mistake? They paid yeah. their time. Why can't they cut hair? Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's where we need to. And and the other part of it is also making people aware, so that if someone is right now, we haven't fixed it yet. So if someone is going through cosmetology. And they have a record; they're not being told that that's, that precludes them from getting a license. So we need to be upfront about that. We need to, to have that awareness and tell people, okay, as a, as somebody with a convicted uh, felon, that's a record, you cannot do the following, um, but you can do these, mm-hmm. um, and so that they go down the path and don't waste time and money and energy going down a path to be a cosmetologist when there's a morals clause. So a lot of times they didn't find that out until the end. And they'd been through all of, this, all of the things that need to be in order to get the license, only to be told they can't. So not only is that frustrating, it's it's not cost effective. It's not um, good for, for them, um, their frustration levels and getting, you know, getting a job. So we, we want to try and reduce some of those barriers and honestly just make common sense out of licensure. Mm-hmm. Do we really need to have these barriers yeah. um, uh, to, to be able to get a cosmetology license or any of the other ones that the state has?
0: Are you running into uh, barriers yourself as you're trying to advance these things? Or are you experiencing kind of the same bipartisan approach uh that you saw in clean it, slate
1: it's pretty uh, i it, i will say this you know we a lot of times when i go knocking on doors uh i hear the frustration in people's voices uh not only for the state but they see it much more on the federal level certainly the partisanship mm. um the the fights the the i'm a republican i'm a democrat and therefore we can never speak um and i will say i'm very proud of the effort that we've put forward on a bipartisan level because um, with these changes we have bipartisan we have as I mentioned you know the AFL-CIO, and we have the ACLU on 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 in support and we have the businesses and the chambers and we have law enforcement and the das um, all on board and and it, it's an unusual situation absolutely yeah. but the um, sure we have pushback and we, we have to bring even the the probation and parole bill that that Jordan has put forward that representative Harris has put forward um, the ability for I don't agree with every in it. Uh, right now uh, I want to have more conversation mm-hmm. and he recognizes that mm-hmm. um the DAs want to have more conversation about it uh and so we need to bring but the one thing about this is that everybody's willing to sit at the table mm-hmm. and have those conversations so it's, it's not in final form and, and that's good because we want to have people to have their say we want people to have um their input and and we we had an event in Philadelphia uh uh this week which was uh, very good and I think that we need to do more of those and that's what our plan is it's not solely about Philadelphia because the changes that we're making are not about Philadelphia. They're about Butler County and, and um, McKean County and Pike County um, and, and Pittsburgh. Uh, but they're also about Cumberland County. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not about fitting in just one particular area. It's about fitting statewide. So that's why we need so many uh, input and voices uh, to have that dialogue. And, I, and it's been very positive. And I think that it'll it'll be a little while. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Because um, the legislation hasn't even been, I mean, the draft is written, but um, the, the compromise hasn't been come to yet. Mm-hmm. So um, with that and, and professional licensure as well as training, uh, we're working with Art Haywood and, and uh, Senator Haywood and, and Senator Bartolotta in the Senate. So we will uh, work together. And, and so we're not only working bipartisan but bicameral and keeping each other in the loop. We had a joint meeting uh, last week, the first meeting of the the. Justice Reform Caucus, um, and I think it went very well. We heard a lot about um, uh, different movements in other states and what Pennsylvania can do, and, and, and changes that we need to make and take a look at. So I think there's a lot of groups out there that are excited about um, uh, what we're doing. But I also have to laugh because they won't all be happy with the result, which <laughs> I think is what compromise is about. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, not every group um, when you come to a table. I, I kind of I was at Messiah yesterday. And I'm um, talking to some students, and I said, I have bills that have my name on them. I was the prime sponsor, and I don't like everything in them, you know, because that's what compromise is yeah. about. You have to recognize that um, you're going to give a little.
0: 102 and 26 Ex- are hard numbers exactly to get. That's exactly what yeah. I told them. I said the math problem needs to work. <laughs> it all comes back to math, it doesn't does. it? It does.
1: does. And our kids say that they don't want to learn math. Yeah, Come on. That's right. Um, but I did say to them that the math problem is 102, 26, and 1.
0: 1. If you can't get those, uh, you're you're getting nothing done. Exactly,
1: you're not going to uh, get an accomplishment whatsoever. You can talk about it all you yeah. want, but until you get those votes, and I think that that's also part of, of the education process. Yeah, uh, we you know you introduce a bill, and, and I always kind of look at the first session you introduce a bill as the education. Um, you're getting around talking to people. You're talking in the committee. You're talking to the. Um, folks on both sides of an issue you're hearing the complaints because many times when we put something out there um until we hear those that are in the field you know where the rubber hits the road you know as they say you know kind of um unintended consequences and we don't want that whether it's with the criminal justice reform whether it's with any bill that we put out there we try to you know avoid that but sometimes um we don't know that until the people that are doing the job every Mm -hmm. day Um, have their voice heard and say, hey, look, did you realize that by doing this... And sometimes it's a funding issue, you know, how much we draw down from the federal government. And if we make a change in how victims are are compensated or or, um, reimbursed for for the crime, um, maybe we're affecting how the federal government pays victims. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that until um, somebody will... um, Bring it up, and then we need to make those changes. So it's a lot of debate.
0: Yeah. So so these issues that you're bringing, you know, both sides together on, and and using some of the arguments of, look, uh, we need to be more efficient with mm. this system. Absolutely. Uh, because it's costly when we're inefficient. We're harming people uh, that uh, we need to help get become more productive citizens. Uh, because the vast majority of people coming in our prisons are coming back into our communities. Um, there's some principles there that you would think would be transferable to other areas of government. I mean, corrections, while a big part, it is the third largest budget area, uh, but it's really a fraction of, of the other areas, that being, you know, health uh, and welfare uh, and education. education. yeah right, right. Um, uh, There, I think there's principles there that absolutely could be and should be applied to uh, welfare. Do you think we can transition to where we'd see some of that bipartisan support of, of application?
1: um i'm not holding my breath on that but yeah we haven't seen it so far no 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 no. um i I agree with you wholeheartedly i I think that anytime that we have any part of our system like education like uh, anything dealing with our health and our welfare um those are huge dollar number you know programs that are in our in our budget and I think that many times we we pass laws or we have regulations or we have um, certain things that, and we just do it because we always have. And, uh, you know, all the way back to. And that was corrections as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. We've always done probation this way, you know, and more and more laws kept getting passed that we had to do X, Y, and Z, and it was never questioned. And, and I think not only in corrections, but, you know, welfare and, and how we do our education and, um, you know, charter reform and, and the ability for, you know, taking a look at the cash assistance within welfare. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why are we not going back and taking a look at um, certain things you know, so many times when things get passed in those two particular areas, they're hands off. Mm-hmm. Um, no, well, that, well it's, that's the way we do it. Oh, and yeah. So I, I think that that's uh, what we're doing in, in corrections, I think, can be across many issues. And bipartisan should be able to be. Um, accomplished. But uh, sometimes uh, a lot of rhetoric gets in the way.
0: Well, hopefully uh, the success you're experiencing with the criminal justice reform uh, will be transferable and we'll start tackling some of those other things that I know, uh, certainly uh, have been out there uh, but haven't enjoyed the same kind of bipartisan support yet.
1: Yeah, we've had a lot of debates on the floor. And, um, you know, and, and it's some of the process. You get into the, the philosophical and um, you get into the, the very partisan issues. Yeah. Um, and certain things can't be touched, you know, on both sides of the aisle. Sure. I mean, it goes both ways. But um, I think any time you can take a review, of how we're doing things in state government, and is it cost effective? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you know, in corrections, we've talked to Secretary Wetzel on a number of issues, um, and, and he has many ideas as to how to do it. And I don't think any of the other secretaries are any different. I think they would all have ideas as to how to uh, streamline something or do something better. Uh, sometimes we let politics get in the way, and, and hopefully if we can make some changes and corrections, we can use that same kind of formula maybe to cross the cross the aisles, Republican and Democrat, in, in education and in welfare.
0: Yeah, and hopefully uh, if our goal is to improve people's lives and to uh, make sure that uh, uh, the programs that the taxpayers are supporting are being effective, uh, if those are our goals, hopefully uh, we'll solve more problems uh, in the future.
1: You know, t- taxpayers are, are uh, willing to pay um, for good products yeah um, you know you go to the the grocery store and you want the best product you want the best apples you want the best bananas you don't go buy the bruised ones, right right so I think with state government they expect the same thing and that's you know what I hear in the 88th district is that you know I don't feel that my money going to Harrisburg is being used wisely and and that's frustrating for the elected official because you want to try and on a probe um, you know seeing those line by lines and trying to figure out exactly <laughs> where all those dollars <laughs> mm-hmm. are going Um, And and honestly, not getting an answer sometimes is frustrating. Um, You know, we've asked we went through the whole appropriations process and asked a number of questions um, and and a number of the secretaries. Unfortunately, you know, they they didn't have answers and they didn't know how certain things were going to work or or things that the governor had proposed. um, And that was frustrating. It was a frustrating process in that regard. But um,
0: well, and the house has uh, begun to take steps. I think with this new oversight committee that's been formed, uh, maybe we'll get some more answers. Uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I'm
1: I'm looking forward to seeing what um, comes out. I know they met last week, I believe, or or just recently. And um, I think any time, you know, I was proud to work with uh, Governor Ridge and Governor Schweiker on um, when we did the impact report. Mm-hmm. And um, I was uh, the executive director of that when we were as- assembling the information. And then I w- went on to work um, with governor schweiker with the prime initiative and 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 one of the things that i really thoroughly enjoyed uh with both of those projects was asking the questions on a regular basis why are we doing Mm -hmm. this why is it that we are um doing a process the way we're doing it and and a lot of times the answer from people that were working was well we just always have well
0: and i won't test your uh your your uh uh, history of tell me what the acronym stands for oh Again, good we'll lord see you, <laughs> oh good impact, lord of yeah. course uh, being one of those uh, i know the p was privatize uh um, but improve the, yeah. privatize yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. that could be
1: that could be a challenge <laughs> off the cuff where, where yeah. i gotta remember yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah you'll remember it later yeah, after exactly. we i will i it, will uh, well i really appreciate your joining me on brews and views and talking about the things you're passionate about and thank you, uh, thank you for your work Uh, in these important areas that, uh, you know, where the taxpayers are getting greater value. And I think people's lives are ultimately being improved. That's what we're most interested in is that, uh, like you said, people who made mistakes in the past have paid for their mistake. Um, Let's not hold them back going forward uh, because we need as many, uh, you know, we need everybody to uh, be productive uh, self-sufficient. I mean, that's ultimately uh, part of pursuing the American dream. Absolutely. And uh, well, so thank you for for all of Absolutely. your work. Absolutely, I
1: appreciate. It. I think at any time, if someone like I said gets elected, they want to try and make a difference, and so I think some of these changes will will do that, and and uh, hopefully we'll see a good end to that. But thank you for the opportunity. You
0: bet. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners' Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.